0: I just want to give a brief introduction. Um, I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but I wanted to do say something. Um, w- my wife and I both went to college at College of Ozarks in the Branson area, and after we graduated college, got married. We lived in that area for a while, and I worked at a couple of schools there. Um, we were a part of a church, um, invested a lot of hours in youth ministry, and it's kind of the calling on my life. God uh, led me to love teens, and so that's kind of been where I uh, serve my Lord and Savior. Um, when we moved here, uh, we became part of a church um, that, uh, for almost 10 years, that served us well, and we uh, were able to serve there, and we're very grateful uh, for all the... Um, Friendships we created there, all the uh, families, the um, the service that we were able to offer to our Lord and Savior there. Um, when the pandemic hit, um, things kind of changed for everyone. Um, maybe you remember that. <laughs> and so at that time, uh, our family... Um, Basically, it, it, it was the end of that chapter in our life with that church, and it was time to find a new church, and we were not sure where to go. And uh, we ended up here, um, we've already created um, a bond with some of the families, we've found ways to use our gifts as a family here to serve Christ at this church, and um, a lot of you already know this, but this is just a great place to worship And I am just so thankful for all the people that have invested their lives in serving at this church, um, following God and His plan, um, because when the time was right, I I truly feel God moved us here, and um, all of the work that they did before we got here, I mean, we were able to just become a part of just a great church. And so I'm so thankful for those people, their blood, their sweat, their tears, their sacrifice, and uh, and just serving God. And so I'm just so grateful for this place. Um, And then to be able to do youth ministry here and to teach the teens has been awesome. We've got some great teenagers uh, coming to this church. To be able to play a part in the children's church and And to see their young lives as they ask questions and and really, truly get to know who Jesus is, it's just an awesome, amazing thing. Um, And then Mike honored me in such a great way by asking if I would teach this morning uh, to the church. It's such an honor to be sitting here to open up the Word and uh, for us together to look at what God has to say. Um, So thank you for... Uh, giving me some time to share those things, and it's just such an honor. And uh, So let's get started. Genesis chapter 48. Um, We'll do just a very quick summary of Genesis, because we've been in Genesis for a while. And um, we're nearing the end. There's 50 chapters in Genesis. Um, I get to teach on chapter 48, so there's two left after I get finished today. And so, kind of a summary of Genesis, it starts out with basically four great events in Genesis. So, we have, first of all, we have the formation of, um, of everything, and we have that uh, account of God forming. We have the fall. After that, we have the great flood. And then after the flood, we have the fallout. We have... We have all the results of everything that took place up until that point. And so all the evil uh, that came with it, all the bad things, and so we have that fallout. (laughs) And then Genesis chapter 11 starts off by talking about four great people. Uh, It starts off talking about Abraham. Isaac, (laughs) do I have anyone in here that lived through the times where we chanted, Bruce, 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 Bruce? (laughs) I'm still bitter that they're in L.A. I know they started there, but all right. Sorry, I got off there for a second. Uh, Jacob, this is Jake Johnson, by the way. This is actually a picture from my wife. She likes Jake. So, yeah, you're welcome, Kelly. Uh, And then Joseph, hey, hey, come on, it's Sunday, we're at church. (laughs) You people. So with those four great people, we have the patriarchs of the church, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then from there, we have the 12 tribes. And this is the patriarchal age that we're in right now. We're getting ready to see the end of Jacob's life. And we're going to see a snapshot of Joseph bringing his children to see grandpa, Jacob, um, as he's at the end of his life. And then the 12 tribes. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know where the 12 tribes actually come from. I didn't always know this. Um, But the 12 tribes of Israel are actually uh, the sons of Jacob, which God renamed Israel. Um, So Jacob had Leah and Rachel. If you remember that story, he fell in love with Rachel, and so he worked for years and years to win her hand in marriage, and then the father was as conniving as Jacob was and said, nope, you just earned Leah, and so then he had to work some more to earn Rachel. But he has his two wives, Leah and Rachel, and then their uh, handmaids. And from those four ladies, we have the 12 sons of Jacob, and so... That is the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. We'll get a little bit more into it today because the 12 tribes of Israel actually look a little bit different than that list. And we're going to see why today. So just a quick recap to see where we are last week. uh, Mike taught in chapter 47. 47. Of Genesis, And so if you want to flip back there real quick, 47, verse 27, 28, and then the first part of 29. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. And when the time drew near that uh, Israel must die, and then that's where I'm going to stop. So we see here from this scripture that Jacob is now 147 years old, and he's drawn near to his death. So now starting in Genesis chapter 48, verse 1 and 2. Now it came to pass, after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. So I'm going to look at a couple things in these first two verses this morning. Joseph's told that his father's dying and so he brings his two sons to him uh, to see their grandfather and his sons' names are Manasseh and Ephraim. Um, There's something important in this verse but we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. So if I get off track, you can remind me I was supposed to go back to verse 1. Verse 2, it's interesting here in verse 2 that if you look at verse 2, it actually names Jacob, who's who's actually in his deathbed, it names him Jacob and Israel. It uses his prior name, and it uses his uh, new name that God gave him. And I find that interesting because right here at the end of his life, it's almost like the, the writer is reminding us of who Jacob was and where he came from, and led us all the way to this moment where he's one of the great patriarchs. Um, So Jacob, if you don't remember who Jacob was, Jacob, the name Jacob kind of means a heel grabber. If you remember as he was born, Esau was born first, and he was grasping the heel of his brother. He's known as a deceiver, a manipulator. If you're a Marvel fan, like my family is, uh, he was kind of like... Loki from the Marvel Universe, uh, the god of mischief. And you can see that throughout the life of, uh, early life of Jacob and the way that he deceived his father and um, that he was manipulating and always working the next scheme. But then God got a hold of him, literally, uh, had a wrestling match, and uh, he became a different person. God gave him a new name, Israel, which means fighter of God or wrestled with God. And he's a great patriarch of God's people. In fact, it's uh, from him, his sons, that we end up with 12 tribes of Israel. And in this verse it says, Israel sat up on the bed. And as we know, as we keep reading, this is going to be his deathbed. He's at the, he's at the end of his life. And this is going to be the deathbed scene. So, story time. I just want to take a moment uh, to tell a story. The I've already shared this story with the youth and the youth workers in one of my um, lessons prior, so they've already heard it. But I want to share it with you this morning. There was this lady, and she had a lot of husbands. Um, she actually had four husbands, um, was talking to her one day and kind of reminiscing and to find out the first husband she had, uh, she ended up marrying, uh, a banker, not just any banker, but like the CEO of a, of a huge banking company that didn't work out. And so, um, she left that marriage, actually, uh, moved to LA and, uh, got into a network of people that kind of ran with some of the movie stars, and so she ended up marrying a movie star for her second husband. You can imagine that didn't work out. So I think around that time in her life, she she made a life change, and uh, she married a different guy. This third person she married was actually a preacher. And you would think, well, Third time's a charm, and he's a preacher. But those guys aren't as good as you think they are. (laughs) And so that didn't work out. (laughs) So it came time to marry her fourth husband. And she married a mortician, of all things, a mortician. And I'm talking to this lady. It's just a fascinating story, and I'm like, man that is such a wide array of different people in different walks of life. Why did you choose those specific people to marry? What brought you to these decisions? She said, well, I married number one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. thank you. Thank you. And the point of that awesome story <laughs> is that in all of our lives, we will come to a time where it's time to get ready and it's time to go. And so we're going to see this scene today. Um, we're going to see Jacob on his deathbed. And I want to share one more story. That one was fun. Uh, now I want to Kind of share what my week's been like a little bit, and um, and also to share with you just how awesome God is. Um, So I shared a little bit with you about um, what I've done in the past, and a lot of youth ministry, and um, I've done some teaching in church, and um, it's been it's been a very um, humbling ride. And I've found myself doing ministry that I probably always didn't deserve to have those positions and to be doing those ministries in those places. I've never been a pastor of a church. And so one thing, one form of ministry that pastors um, find themselves in a lot, and my father was a pastor, I was a PK, and so he found himself in this position quite a few times. But one thing I've never done is I've never gone to someone's bedside on their deathbed before they're about to die and ministered to them. And God, in just his sovereign way, and he's just so amazing. He, he just knows everything. And he just pieced all of this together. He knew Mike was going to ask me to teach some Sunday, But at the time, I didn't know what chapter I'd be teaching. And um, God knew I would say yes. He knew we'd be in chapter 48 of Genesis. He knew that uh, this family had uh, this grandpa that was going to be dying this week. And so, last Thursday, one of my employees came to me and said... Um, I just want to let you know, Dr. Sylvie, that um, our grandpa, um, they believe he has cancer. They've taken him to the hospital. They don't know if he has long to live. Now, I don't always, when I hear something like that, I don't always drop everything and just rush straight there. Um, But I've shared with someone before um, telling you the story that... In that moment, I was just compelled to drop everything and go to that hospital. Um, This was a uh, prior employee. He and his wife worked for us at the school. He has family that still works for us at the school. Um, This family means a lot to me, and we've had a lot of good times. And so when I showed up at the hospital, um, I was greeted by his wife, who immediately walked up to me and gave me the biggest, longest hug I've ever had. She said, I thank you so much for coming. And so she took me up to the room, and they were going to run tests uh, later that day to find out how widespread this cancer was. Um, they just knew that he had cancer, didn't know all the details, and had not met with the family yet. Um, and so as we're talking, uh, laughing about good times, and, and just having a good visit, um, the wife shares with me that they pastor had not showed up yet and as she explains a little bit more I guess when COVID hit they stopped going to church and so I'm thinking in my mind you know um, the pastor may not even know (laughs) what's going on and that he should come here but in their mind he was their pastor and he should be there Um, and he wasn't and hadn't been and so she asked me she said would you mind talking with him and making sure he's ready to go? And I've never done this. I've led people to the Lord, and I've lived for Jesus. But I've never had a heart-to-heart talk with somebody who's about to leave this life. And so I immediately agreed to do it. Um, She actually left the room and said that she was going to give us some time alone. And I got to talk to this man Such an honor. Such an honor to do that. Um, It was a good meeting. He was ready. And it was just so peaceful. And I got to pray with him. And then when I left the room, I got to go and meet back with his wife. And I get to share with her, he's ready. It was such an awesome experience. None of us are looking forward to death. Uh, But for God to place me in that moment, in that experience, right before this message, our God is such a good God. And so as I began to study and read this chapter with Jacob on his deathbed, it gave me just a whole new perspective, a whole new meaning. That I probably didn't have just a week ago. All right. Thanks again for letting me share that story. We're going to move on to chapter, nope, verse 3. Verse 3. Let's see. Mike, how am I doing? I'm 30 minutes into my message and I've gone through two verses. (laughs) I want to be, I want to be like my. <laughs> Verse three. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people. And give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So this is a pretty powerful verse because what we have here is Jacob the deceiver, who is now renamed Israel, and he is giving God the credit. And so he is sharing about the time um, in verse 3, that he was in Luz. So we're going to do a real quick look at this. I'm titling this section, Led Zeppelin and God's Promise. And so in verse 3, Jacob recalls the dream that God had given him. So if you want to, if you want to take a step back to Genesis 28, we'll read those verses real quick. And if you need an explanation on why I called it Led Zeppelin and God's Promise, ask your dad. Chapter 28, verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So what we have here is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac speaking to Jacob and giving him a promise, the same promise that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. Jacob wakes up from his sleep and says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it and called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. So when um, Jacob was talking uh, to Joseph and shared with him about his time back at Luz, this is the scene that he was referring to. And then this is why this is important. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. This is like the first time in Jacob's life where he entertains the thought that maybe the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, my father and grandfather, Maybe he's my God too. And it looks like beginner steps because when you read it, he says, if God will do this list of 43 things, then I'll call him my God. But we all got to start somewhere, right? And so in that moment, that's kind of the beginning of the transformation of Jacob into Israel. And then verse 22, I want to finish with this one. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. I just wanted to read that final verse because we see the act of worship that we call tithing in this verse. And it's kind of tricky for a pastor to talk to his people about tithing because, yes, it's a way that we worship God, and yes, God gives us a blessing if we do that. But when the pastor's asking you to do it, it kind of sounds like he's just asking you to give money to the church that he's leading. And so, I'm not the pastor, and I want to encourage all of our people to tithe 10%. First of all, God tells us to do that. But when we do it, it's an act of worship towards God, and it's a way that we can show in faith that we're trusting in our God and not in the money that we're making. And it is so cool, once you actually start doing it and get into it, that when your money is able to uh, benefit other people and be a blessing to other people, how awesome that is, just to experience that in the name of Jesus. So, if you're tithing, thank you. Please continue to do that. And God will continue to bless you, as you already know He will. If you haven't taken that step of faith yet and began to tithe 10%, um, I ask you to do it. You should try it. I mean, not not just to try it, but you should do it. God leads us to do that, and it's an awesome way for us to worship uh, our Lord and Savior. So that was just a little side message, and we won't charge you anything extra for that. Or, well, I guess we will, 10%, huh? Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right, so back to chapter 48. Verse 4. <laughs> Thank you so much for putting up with me. <laughs> this is what the youth have to deal with all the time. Verse 4 is uh, God's promise to Jacob. And if you read the promise in verse 4, not only does he promise him the descendants that he talked to Abraham about and to Isaac about. But uh, God also uh, promised that part of the promise is the land as an everlasting possession. And we, th- we see this land go to um, Jacob's descendants. And um, we're going to talk a little bit more ab- again about the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, verse 5. Let me read verse 5, and then I'll share with you what I'm going to do. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the meaning of that statement. But before we do that, because I'm in education and was created to be a teacher, I have an assignment for you right now. So take your Bible or your Bible app and read Genesis 48.1 and Genesis 48.5, verse 5. See if you notice anything interesting about those two verses. Compare them and then have a discussion with your neighbor about your analysis. Compare verse 1 and verse 5. I'll give you a second to do that. This may seem odd because we don't typically ask you to talk in church in the middle of the message. But if you haven't discussed with your neighbor yet, go ahead, have a discussion. What do you find comparing verse 1 and verse 5? Oh, Bible scholars of A.B. Chapel. Did anyone notice that the order in which the kids were named was different? Anybody notice that? Raise your hand if you did. We're back in school. Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Cool. So in verse 1, we're introduced to Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And there's an important reason why they're named in that order. Because Manasseh is the firstborn. He's the oldest, and we all know the firstborn is the best. I only had a few people chuckle at that. All right, so I'm the oldest in our family. I just hurt the feelings of my second and third child by saying that. That was a joke. That was a joke. However, we do know, and we're going to talk about that in a second, that the firstborn, um, some things do come along with that, the law of the firstborn. We'll talk about that in a second. I keep saying that, don't I? You guys are thinking, how long is this message going to be? We keep saying we're going to talk about things later. All right. um, In verse 5, when Jacob, or his name now is Israel, names the boys, he names Ephraim first. He says, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, if you're just reading the scripture and flying through it, you might miss that. But there's a very important reason why he did that. And that, my friends, is what we call foreshadowing. That is foreshadowing what's about to happen in this chapter. So in verse 1, we just said that, I'm not going to read it. All right. Um, Also, as we continue to read this verse, we see something very strange. Grandpa says, your two sons are now mine. What? (laughs) Like, doesn't this grandpa know he's supposed to spoil the kids and then send them home with the parents? What is going on here? Jacob informs Joseph that he is basically adopting his sons. And in, in this statement he transforms the tribes of Israel. He actually takes these two children, who are his grandchildren, and raises them to the status of his own sons. And he even mentions two of his sons in this statement, Reuben and Simeon. And so in doing that, the twelve tribes of Israel now look different. After Genesis 48.5, we're going to see that Joseph's share is now going to be split and go to Manasseh and Ephraim. And if you're doing the math, 12 plus 14, no, no, 12 plus (laughs) 2 does not equal 2. It equals 14. So how do we have the 12 tribes? I won't get into all of it, but I'll get into a little of it. Because it's kind of interesting. First of all, these two um, split Joseph's. So that kind of takes Joseph out of the picture. So now we have 12 plus 2 minus 1. So we're down to 13 tribes. And then as you read in the scripture, um, they assign the tribe of Levi some different um, responsibilities. And so uh, they're the ones that are in charge of uh, moving the Ark of the Covenant... And uh, they get the priesthood. And so when it comes time for them to take the land and divide it into the 12 sections and be the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, Levi doesn't – the tribe of Levi doesn't get a section of land of the 12 tribes. They actually get some cities mixed in, and so that's kind of interesting. And as you look through the Scripture and look at different places where they list the 12 tribes – It's different listings. It's worded differently throughout the Bible in different places, and so it's kind of interesting. Um, Moses refers to it and talks about it. Jesus alludes to it in the New Testament, all the way to Revelation 7, where if you read Revelation 7, it actually mentions Joseph as one of the tribes instead of Ephraim, and then it also mentions Manasseh. And if you're wondering, why does Revelation 7 do that? Uh, Well, I'm going to leave that for Mike to explain to you, and so you can look forward to that when we get to Revelation 7. If you're not dead by then. All right. Genesis, verse 6. Your offspring, whom you begot after them, shall be yours, and they will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So basically, this verse, to sum this up, I'm now taking your kids, and any kids that you beget after these two are now yours, and they can be your kids, and the inheritance you are going to give them will now fall to them. Verse 7. And then um, Jacob begins to talk about his wife Rachel. He says, But as for me, when I came to Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go uh, to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. Uh, That is Bethlehem. And if you go there today, um, this is a picture of the actual tomb of Rachel. And um, the Jewish people uh, declare this as one of the holy places. Um, All right. Verse 8. I love this. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Who are these people? So you think, Well, he just spent a lot of time talking about these kids. And then now that he sees them, he's asking, Who are these? And I would say to you, He's 147 years old. Give him a break, <laughs> right? If you keep reading, it says it does say in verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he had a, he had an eyesight thing going on. So that could be the reason why he asked, "Who are these? Who are these little people running around?" Um, maybe I'm not sure. Some people think he'd never met them, and so maybe that's why he didn't recognize them. Um, or in the reading. You know, have you ever talked about little kids in their presence and stuff, then turned and said, and who are you? It may be something like that. I kind of think that it's the dim eye thing. I think he he couldn't see real well. Um, Verses 9 through 13, we'll speed this up a little bit and start reading sections of verses instead of just verse by verse. 9 through 13, Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So I want to pause there before we read verse 12 and 13 and just kind of roll through this. First of all, Jacob asked Joseph, bring, bring me your kids. He wants to bless them. And then uh, verse 10 is just a great picture of Father's Day, in my opinion. Um, Joseph gets his grandkids and kisses them and embraces them. And then um, Israel, this statement is just, if you'll remember, Israel thought that Joseph was dead. Like he thought he had lost that son. And so he, he makes this comment. He said, I didn't think that I would ever see your face. But in fact, now I'm seeing your kids that I just stole. <laughs> but it's just a moment of awe and just kind of reminiscing and realizing the blessing that that moment was for him. And then verse 12 and 13. So Joseph brought them from behind beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took both of his kids Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's, Israel's right hand and brought them near him. This is very important. Joseph is being very selective in what he does here. If you noticed, he's putting Manasseh in front of Jacob's right hand, and then he's putting Ephraim in front of Jacob's left hand. Let's talk a little bit about the right hand and the left hand. Um, the right hand, we uh, is a symbol of authority and strength. Um, like ninety percent of the population is right-handed. If you're part of the ten percent of the population who's left-handed, um, sorry that you get left out a lot. Uh, when people make stuff, they mainly make it for, for right-handed people because that's 90% of the population. And even in our symbolism, we symbolize the right hand as the hand of authority, uh, the hand of strength. Here's a few places in Scripture where it does that. Even there, this is talking about God. Even there, your hand, God's hand, shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Psalm 139, he specifically says God's right hand. In Acts, Stephen, being full of the Spirit, gazes into heaven and sees the glory of God, and Jesus is standing at what hand of God? The right hand. That's right. And then, let's just take a look right in Genesis 35, where we're studying, um, and Mike already went over the scripture, but in chapter 35, they journeyed from Bethel, and when they were there uh, a little ways, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had a hard labor. And this is actually where Rachel uh, dies. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died. She asked, uh, she asked Jacob to name uh, to name her son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. And the father says, nope, <laughs> and names him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. If you'll recall, in this moment, Rachel, his favorite wife, all this makes sense, right? It's all connected. Rachel was his favorite wife. She had a son named Joseph, and he thought that he had lost Joseph. He thought Joseph is dead. And now she's having Benjamin, and so he is naming this son. This is now going to be the son of my right hand because I've already lost Joseph. So let's talk a bit about the law of the firstborn. In our society or the way that we do things, uh, there's this law of the firstborn. And the firstborn son gets these things bestowed upon him, basically. The authority of the family, the greater blessing, twice the land allotment, a double portion. If you think back, if you think about um, when Isaac was blessing... Uh, Esau, Esau was the older brother, and so he was going to get the greater blessing. Jacob deceived dad and took that blessing, and then that greater blessing was given to Jacob. And then when Esau comes and says, well, I want one, and he says, I will give you a blessing. But it's not going to be as great as what I just gave Jacob. So the law of the firstborn. All right, so let's see what happens in chapter 48, 14 through 16. Then Israel stretched out his right hand, laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and then his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. All right, let's see. I'm good with time. Can I borrow my sons uh, Noah and Elijah? Can you come up here? I didn't warn them I was going to do this to them. They may tell me no. I don't know. (laughs) So here's grandpa. He's ready to bless them. And so Joseph strategically places the youngest son here to his left and then the older son here to his right so that grandpa can place his left hand on the younger son and the right hand... In the right hand on the older son. But what happens is when it comes time for Grandpa to bless them, he takes his right hand and places it on the younger. And <laughs> his left hand... And he blesses him like this. This is what grandpa does. And the scripture says he does it knowingly. Right? In that moment, Jacob is an amazing basketball player. He does one of the most epic crossovers in history. Right? All right, boys, thanks 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 for uh, playing a part in that fun. Yay, my clicker stopped working. There we go. All right. So let's talk a second about a different type of law than the law of the firstborn the law of preeminence. The law of preeminence basically says that God is sovereign and he has the right to choose whatever person or whatever order for whatever purpose or whatever reason he chooses. God doesn't have to follow the law of the firstborn. And in God's infinite omniscience, the law of uh, preeminence supersedes the law of the firstborn. Think about it throughout the Bible. We see this in multiple places where we don't follow the law of the firstborn. It was Abel, not Cain. Isaac, not Ishmael. It was Jacob, not Esau. It was Joseph, not Reuben. It was Moses who led the people out, not his older brother Aaron. And then one of my favorite examples, think about little shepherd boy David. When they came to choose the king, they gathered all the sons together. They said, get all your sons, we're going to pick one. And they got all the sons, well, almost. (laughs) They left one out. Why would they leave David out? Well, because he's just a little boy. He's not going to be the king. And so they go down the line of all the sons and the first one the Bible like really brags on the first son, the, the oldest, and how amazing he looks and how kingly, surely this is the one. God says, no, <laughs> it's not that one. They go down the entire line. and so then they're confused. they're like, well, we know it's going to be one of your sons and it's not any of these. Don't you have another do you have any other sons somewhere? And he's like, "Oh well, yeah, David. He's out in the fields. He's just a little boy, though. God chose him. God can use you. Think about that. It doesn't matter if you're the firstborn. It doesn't matter if you've had a great life and done all the right things or if you've made Terrible, horrible mistakes along the way. God can still use you today, right now, and moving forward. He has the right to choose you. No matter how bad you've messed it up, no matter what order you were born in, no matter what family you were born in, no matter how many different things you have going on in your life that are kind of messed up, God can use you. Don't forget that. Back to the scripture. Genesis forty eight, seventeen through nine or verses seventeen through nineteen. We see suddenly Joseph is going to try to correct the senile old man. Verse seventeen. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, this displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head. And put it on Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. So he gets a blessing too. However, truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations verses 20 through 22 this will finish out the chapter so he blessed them that day saying by you israel will bless saying may god make you as ephraim and as manasseh and thus he set ephraim before manasseh and then 21 and 22 we're going to see he shifts his attention now to his son joseph with whom he thought he had lost. Then Israel says to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. And so this is just kind of an extra cool thing that I came across If you want to real quick turn to John chapter 4. Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And you may know the story. And this is also a great story. We're not going to read it all, but this is also a great story of a time where God uses someone that maybe you wouldn't expect him to use. As the talk goes on, he talks to the Samaritan woman. And we find out that she's had five husbands, and the person she's with now is not even her husband. And as you analyze the Scripture, you figure out that there was probably a reason why she was going to the well to get water at that time of day, because probably there wouldn't be a huge crowd there at that time. And as, the scripture, as this part of the Scripture ends, we find that the woman goes back to town and starts telling people about Jesus, and through her testimony, many people... Come to Jesus in that moment. Now let's backtrack to the beginning of that. Verses 3 through 6. He left Judah, this is Jesus we're reading about, and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. I just think it's, it's kind of cool. Um, people believe that this plot of land that is referenced here is that exact piece of land that we talked about or just read about in the Old Testament. And how cool is it that Jesus used that part of the land during his ministry to lead people to God, his Father, Years and years and years later after it it was promised to Joseph. Which is kind of cool. Alright. I'm going to wrap this up. I was thinking it is Father's Day. So the first thing is, kids listen to me. Honor your father. Alright. Got that out of the way. Number two. Don't forget your mom because she's pretty special today too. But I want to talk just for a moment to fathers or parents. Um, Whether your kids are in the house still or out of the house, or whether you're an adult who finds in their lives that they have a chance to impact kids and teens for the good of God's plan. Those are the adults that I want to talk to you. I thought, what can I share to finish my lesson that I know is very impactful to kids and probably areas that I need to do better. And so basically I just wrote a little lesson for myself and then I'm just going to let you in on it. So blessings from a father. First of all, don't wait until you're on your deathbed because we can impact our kids today, right now. So one way we may do that is to Model. Show them what it's like to be a Christ follower. They're watching. They're listening. And so we have a great opportunity to be able to model what it means to follow Christ for our kids. Talk. Speak into their lives. Ask questions. Encourage them. Lead them. Guide them. Listen and be present. It's so important for the moments that were present for our kids. Mission. Help them get on mission. Put them on mission. Kids and teenagers live differently when they are on mission. One of my favorite authors, or I, I like his story and I love reading his uh, stuff, is Bob Goff. I don't know if you know this guy, um, but if you don't, take a note. It's worth a read. It's it's great stuff, and it's easy reads. He's, re- he's written several books. He wrote a book. His first book was called Love Does. And basically, he's a Christ follower who realizes we can sit and talk all day long, but love does. And so he does actions, and so he goes out and he does things. And some of the things he's done is, is just amazing. Um but one of the stories he tells in one of his books is about his kids. Um, and his kids were kind of like, you know, normal kids, kind of complaining about things. And one of his oldest was kind of getting interested in um, becoming friends with some uh, people who could lead her astray, that sort of thing. And he realized this was happening. And around that time, 9 11 happened. And so he was having conversations with his kids, and he asked this dad question. He says, if you could have five minutes with the leaders of the world, what would you say? What would you ask them? What would you talk about? And so that caused them to begin to think, and so the three kids kind of came together, put their ideas together, and they wrote a letter in which they basically said, "Um, we want to know your thoughts, what are your hopes, what are you hoping for in the future? And then that led them to, well, let's invite them to our house, and we can uh, serve them dinner, and we can um, befriend them, basically. And then the oldest, listening to the other two talks, said, um, if if they're telling us what their hopes and dreams are and what they're hoping, what if we film that and then show the other world leaders? And maybe if the other leaders can see what they're thinking, then maybe they have um, ideas that are similar and maybe we can bridge this gap. So the dad is um, just playing into this. He's like, that's great. Let's put a letter together. And so they did. They wrote letters. And they got on the FBI website. and they fa- I'm not making this up. And they found all the leaders of all the nations in all the world. And they made a list. And then they found their addresses. And then the kids hand-wrote this letter describing everything I just said and mailed them to all the leaders in the world. And then they waited. And suddenly letters started coming in. And remember, they've invited them to their house. But if they can't come to their house, then they'll come meet them in their country. And they just want to talk to them and then maybe record it so that then maybe they can show the other leaders. And as they started getting letters back, they said a lot of the leaders were very friendly, and they were like, hey, this is great ideas, and we appreciate your interest. Uh, No. But then they got one where someone said yes. The leader of Bulgaria wrote back, and he said, yeah, I can't come visit your house, but why don't you guys come and visit me? And so they were all excited. And Mom and Dad, they already made this promise. (laughs) So they're going to take them to Bulgaria. And then they get more letters. And 29 world leaders said yes to this group of three kids, this family, that said they would meet with them. And so all of a sudden they start touring the globe. They went to Bulgaria, they went to Israel, they went to Switzerland, and they're meeting with these leaders. And it's... It's so, and as he writes it, he explains, if it were a group of adults in the room, it would have been a totally different situation. They would have talked about totally different things. But because it's just these kids asking them, what are your hopes? Then the walls start to break down, and they start to become friends with these kids. And then this is a really cool part, if that wasn't cool enough. When the kids leave they give each leader they came to visit a gift. It's a little red box, and they give it to them. And they open it up, and it's a key to their house. And they said, we're now friends, and we want you to know you can use that key whenever you want, and you can come visit us at our house. And one of the world leaders did. (laughs) They sent him an email, and they said, hey, I've got a little time off Can we come visit you at your house? We want to have a sleepover. (laughs) So again, this guy's name's Bob Goff. Bob Goff. Look him up. It's some amazing stuff. He's done some cool things. But in that amazing story, think about what those kids' lives are like and what they're worried about as teenagers. Why? Because they're on mission. They're doing things as a family to impact people for God. And so if we can find ways to get our kids on mission, it's going to revolutionize their lives, and they're going to be different people. In my time through youth ministry, I've seen it. It's been pretty cool. Different kids have different interests, different different skills. And so if you can find what makes them tick and find a way to allow them to use those gifts and talents and interests for God's work... It's amazing what happens. I had a boy in one of my youth ministries that he loved skateboarding. I've tried to get on a skateboard before. I almost killed myself. But he was good at it. And we started talking and just brainstorming one day. And he ended up like creating this ministry where he would hold little skateboard camps for younger kids. And he would teach them how to skateboard. And he was so good that the, peop- like, the younger kids that saw him skateboarding like Oh, he was a rock star. It was awesome. But then within that, he would share with them Jesus Christ. Wow. Man, that's awesome. I had another girl in my ministry who had it on her heart to take care of kids who were hungry. And I know we have a backpack impact program here in this community, and it's awesome. I love that we have it. It's amazing. But where we were, we didn't have that in place And one of our kids in our youth ministry decided to start one. And so this teenage girl who was a high school kid brainstormed, put the pieces together, and started a backpack program to get kids food in her school and wanted no one to know that it was her because she didn't want any credit for it. Awesome, awesome stuff. If we can get our kids on mission, it will revolutionize their lives. God's Word. This is one of the main ways that we get to know God and that God can speak to us. So bring Scripture into their lives. If they're having a hard time or a struggle, go to the Word of God and share those things with them. Share what God's showing you in the Scripture. And if you're like me, there may be times that you're not in the Scripture God's not showing you anything, and it's not His fault, right? But as you study the Scripture and get into the Word, don't be afraid to share with your kids, hey, you know what God showed me today in Genesis 48? That the oldest kid's not the most important. (laughs) And have family devotional time. I know we're all so busy, but one of our family's greatest blessings is It was really cool during COVID times when we were all locked in. We came across these two guys that do ministry. I've used them in the past in my youth ministry, but they're called the skit guys. And they started doing these nightly devotions on Facebook. And they would just stream for about 20 minutes and do these goofy skits. And we would laugh and laugh as a family. But they would share the the Bible in those devos. And we got to where we would do that as a family each night and then talk about what they were presenting. It was a really cool time. And I may not ever get to thank them in this life, but I'm certainly going to look them up um, after uh, we leave this life and make sure they know the impact uh, that they had. I should probably write them a letter and invite them to my house. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) They may come. We'll send them a key. All right, last one. And then I'm going to have the music team come up. Pray. God has the power to intervene in our kids' lives. And the cool thing is that he loves our kids even more than we do. Pray privately. Pray over them while they listen. Ask their prayer requests and lead them in praying with you and the family. All of these things will help draw them closer to Jesus, draw them closer to you as a family, and as they leave your family unit and become adults, they're going to carry these things with them into their lives. And Mike and I were talking about this message. I'll end on this. We were talking about this message before I even had written it, and he said something pretty cool. He says sometimes you don't think about that when you're raising your kids, you're raising your grandkids. That's pretty powerful. That what you're putting into your kids, they're going to carry that from your house and continue that into their lives. Very awesome. Thank you so much for your attention this morning. I appreciate you guys. Dear God, thank you for a church family. And just all the different personalities, all the different backgrounds. Thank you for bringing us together and for loving us and giving us opportunities to do your um, your work. And on this Father's Day, I just pray a special blessing for the fathers. I want to pray for the people who this day may be hard uh, because of situations in their lives. That Father's Day may not mean the same thing as it does to me. I just pray that you'll just love them, comfort them. And help us all to remember that you're our heavenly Father. And that you love us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.